Welcome back to Unwise Girls, the world's premier Riot and Verse reread podcast uh, for all your unwise needs. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I'm the other host, Janie. Hi, Jane. How are you doing today? Are you excited for our book? Uh, I'm, I'm interested to talk about it. Same. We don't have any news or anything. Last week, we watched the terrible, terrible movie, and now... We're getting into the book, so let's just get right started right away on the summaries. Let's, uh, we should probably also put, like, a content warning up top. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah, we're going to be I, talking about some slurs in this one, which I didn't want to say in relation to Percy Jackson, but here we are. We're going to be talking about just, like, I would guess, I guess just, like, ableism mm-hmm. uh, pretty generally. Uh, but for now, let's let's go to summaries. Okay, coming to you live from the blanky zone where I have been banished. Yes. Uh, we've only done three chapters this week. Yeah, I uh, I couldn't get my my hold of the book in, so I could only read the first two chapters on my app, and then Jane very kindly sent like photocopied the pages of chapter three <laughs> to send to me. Okay, so chapter one: my best friend shops for a wedding dress. We open on Percy having a nightmare, wherein Grover is running away from some kind of horrific monster in Florida, while saying, have to get away, have to warn them to himself. As the monster corners Grover, Percy is woken up by his mum calling him, and telling him he'll be late for school. As he's getting out of bed, he catches a glimpse of a shape moving on his fire escape, but when he checks, it's gone. We learn that after the events of the last book, Percy has had a relatively normal year, and has, for the first time, almost gotten to the end of a school year without being kicked out. Percy gets up and eats breakfast with his mum, who he tells about his dream. She reacts with concern, and mentions that she had already been having doubts about sending Percy back to Camp Half-Blood as soon as the school year is over. Before Percy can ask why, however, Sally reminds him that he needs to meet his friend Tyson at the train station. Percy reluctantly drops the issue for now, resolving to ask about it later. As he leaves the apartment building, Percy once again thinks he sees some sort of shadow following him, but he can't make anything out for sure. Chapter 2 I play dodgeball with cannibals. We're introduced to Percy's new school, a quote-unquote progressive school, which Percy remarks means that the teachers dress casually, the students sit on beanbag chairs, and there are no grades. Today, for a final exam on Lord of the Flies, the kids are all turned loose in the schoolyard with no supervision, which quickly leads to Matt Sloan, this school's big bully, causing all kinds of chaos. This continues until he tries to wedgie Percy's friend Tyson, who Percy tells us is huge, insanely strong for his age, and also extremely sensitive. He also tells us that Tyson is homeless, living in an alley, and attending the school as part of a community support project. But when Percy and Sally demanded that social services go and help him, they claim they couldn't find anyone in the alley where Tyson lives. When Sloane tries to give Tyson a wedgie, the larger boy swats him too hard and accidentally sends him flying, before bursting into tears when Sloane and his buddies mock him for being homeless. Percy stands up for Tyson, and is told by the bullies that they'll get him for that in P.E. Percy also notices that Sloane seems to have more goons around him than usual today, and that they seem to be transfers or exchange students from elsewhere. During the rest of his classes, Percy worries about Grover and what Sally was saying about postponing his return to camp. While thinking about this, he looks at the photo of Annabeth that he keeps in his notebook, which Matt Sloane and his buddies promptly steal and tear up to turn into spitwads. While this is happening, 
Percy notices that the newer members of Sloane's gang all have name tags with names like Marrowsucker, Skull Eater, and Joe Bob on them. Sloane remarks that they'll be transferring in next year, and can actually pay the tuition, unlike Tyson, who he then refers to with the R-slur. Percy is tempted to beat them all to a pulp, but remembers that he can't use his powers on mortals, as per Chiron's orders. As he and Tyson are going to PE, Percy hears a girl whisper his name, but as with the shadows from before, can't make out anything concrete. Before PE, Tyson asks Percy to watch out for him while he gets changed. Percy privately speculates that he's embarrassed about his weirdly hairy body and the unexplained scars which crisscross his back. Percy's class play a game of dodgeball, with Percy on the team of nerds and outcasts, while Sloane and his gang comprise the other team. As the game starts, a scared Tyson tells Percy that Sloane's new friends smell funny. Almost as soon as the game starts, it's clear that something is wrong. Percy is winded by a ball hurled far too hard at him, and the kids who Tyson thought smelled funny start to grow, becoming huge and muscular. Their leader, Joe Bob, also addresses Percy as Perseus, confirming that these newcomers are in fact monsters. They seal the doors and then replace their dodgeballs with flaming bronze cannonballs. In the ensuing fight, Tyson somehow catches the balls and throws them at Skullcrusher and Marrowsucker, killing both. Before Joe Bob can avenge his fellow monsters, Annabeth appears, stabbing the monster in the back with a glowing dagger. She reveals that she's been following Percy all morning, looking for an opportunity to talk to him, and tells him that they need to leave and to bring Tyson with them. Chapter 3. We Hail the Taxi of Eternal Torment Once the three of them have escaped the school, Annabeth explains that the monsters who tried to kill Percy were the Lestragonians, a bunch of monster cannibals who also once tried to eat Odysseus. Tyson acts really weird towards Annabeth, which grosses her out, before she tells Percy that she's been having creepy dreams. Worryingly, not the same dreams that Percy has been having about Grover. They made Annabeth hike cross-country to retrieve Percy, all while being stalked by monsters. When she asks Percy if he's had to deal with any monsters apart from the Lestragonians, he says no, and Annabeth implies that may be a result of Tyson being around. They give him the basic rundown of what's going on, and agree to take him with them to Camp Half-Blood, to keep him out of trouble with the police over the gym incident. Annabeth uses a drachma to hail a magical cab, the Chariot of the Damned, and after some haggling over price, the three old women driving it agree to take Percy, Tyson, and Annabeth to Halfblood Hill. The drive is incredibly chaotic, as the women only have one eye between them, which they can slot into their eye sockets as needed. While fighting over the eyeball, they let slip that they have some sort of prophetic knowledge that Percy isn't supposed to know, and Percy takes the eye hostage until they divulge it. They give him a string of numbers, 30, 31, 75, and 12, and Percy returns the eye. At that moment, the camp arrives at Half-Blood Hill, and the trio gets out of the cab just in time to see that a group of campers are already waiting on the boundary line, being attacked by monsters. So, what did you think of these chapters? Ah, uh, okay. In, in a very broad sense, I thought they were fine. I, mm-hmm. I think they did their job of creating... I think the first chapter did its job of like reintroducing all the concepts from the first chap from the first book. I think mm-hmm. the second chapter was a nice setup to where Percy's at currently and broadly in a broad sense a decent introduction for Tyson and also had a pretty cool fight. Mm-hmm. Uh and the third chapter was like fun too. I I guess I like them. Mm-hmm. I have some concerns though. What did you think of that? Agreed. I think that Rick Riordan read Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. How, how so? Uh, because we're getting into the second book of the series, and it's opening with doubts about whether the protagonist can go back to magic school. 
while being stalked by some kind of mysterious figure. And shit, I had something more concrete than that, but I forgot what it was. Isn't that more Prisoner of Azkaban? That's where the Taxi of Eternal Torment comes in, because that sure is just the night bus, huh? No, not really. Eh, it's a little bit... I think you're stretching. I think... Po- but... You may be right, it's possible that these chapters have just left a bad taste in my mouth, and I just want to compare them to something unfavorably. I, like, hinted at it a couple of times in my summary, but didn't really get into it, but the presentation of Tyson is, uh... Oof. It's not great. Yeah, so Tyson is Percy's new friend. He's a big homeless kid who is, like, basically described as, like, kind of a stereotype of, like, a developmentally disabled kid. He's Lenny from Mice and Men. I, I've never read that, but that's probably true. It's, it's, it's very much how Rick, like, describes him. He's a big, impossibly strong kid who gets really emotional and, like, doesn't understand things and talks in, like, a really, like, choppy way. And mm-hmm. he, it's, I, I don't even know what to say. It's, it's weird. It's so, it's so why. It's really uncomfortable to read as well. It's, it feels so, like, mean, mean-natured. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's meant to be mean-spirited, obviously. Like, nobody's ever like, I'm going to be mean-spirited today. Yeah. But, like, it, it feels very much like Rick was like, I think Percy's going to have an, have an... I think I'm going to put a character in here who's, like, a monster or whatever. I can't... Uh, or whatever he is, and... I, I do I'm remember g- from reading this the first time that I think Tyson is a Cyclops. He is a Cyclops. I, I didn't know how much you knew. Mm-hmm. Sorry, listeners, for the spoilers. Tyson's a Cyclops. I imagine that reveal is going to come fairly quickly. So probably it's it's prob we probably would have gotten to it in this episode if my uh, library app hadn't been uh, <laughs> rude to me. It feels like such unnecessary like coding. It's not bad to have a character with like a developmental disability in your book, mm-hmm. but that's not really what Tyson is so far. He's like yeah. A stere- he's just a stereotype. Yeah, like, I don't make the mice and men comparison lightly. The, one of the big plot points in that book is like, oh, um, Lenny, like, doesn't understand how to interact with people, and he acts really weird towards this woman and freaks her out. And it's exactly what um, uh, Tyson does to Annabeth in Chapter 3. It feels almost like an intentional, like, homage. Yeah, he, like, tries to grab her hair or something like that. And it's, it's weird. Like, I, and like, obviously, like, I'm not saying that behavior is like, weird or not something that people do. But like, it's the way it's framed is like, okay, the way it's framed, the choice to write the character like this specific way. He's only written in stereotypes. So yes. far. He's he's presented as like, uh, like a punching bag that Percy like has to protect, basically. Mm-hmm. But also like a big, like monstrous kid. Okay, I think there is. Uh, we are doing an unscripted podcast, so it is sometimes difficult to have coherent thoughts or yeah. capture all of our feelings on something. I think, like I said earlier, it's like not. 
the main problem is just that he is written in a very ableist way to me. Absolutely. I I I wouldn't be a there are a lot of things here that I might not be opposed to if they were written in a different way, but it's it's purely the framing of it. I feel like there might be it might possibly be Rick kind of trying to attempt what he did in like book one with ADHD and dyslexia, but in like a much more misguided way, where like because in in book one ADHD and dyslexia basically mean that the kid has like superpowers more or less yeah and that's that i imagine that'd be like quite empowering for a kid like that to read whereas uh-huh. in this book like as we're gonna find out this is coding for the character being a literal monster yeah like it's not it's not like wow these are demigods they're cool kids who do action and they and also they have like ADHD and dyslexia and mm-hmm. they do still have that. Like they're not, that's not like erased by them being demigods, but this isn't present. <sighs> I'm sure that Tyson's going to be a cool care. Like I'm sure he's going to do cool things. Yeah. I mean, and- I think, I think this can be recovered. I think probably this is just a really bad start. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do have to eat my words on something though. Uh, Rick's on. actually gotten one over me on this in this chapter. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Let me see. Chapter one, page five. Uh, Percy talks about how much he likes skateboarding. So that is every hobby from the back of the blurb for the Lightning Thief crossed off. I am officially completely wrong about that. But he still hasn't played basketball though, right? No, but he, he says in book one, like, oh, a basketball court would be more my speed than all this demigod stuff. You're, you're right, you're right. He he did do that. So I'm uh, hereby resigning from the podcast. My integrity has been destroyed. Goodbye, Jane. It's been nice knowing you. <laughs> okay, so here's, I guess, my final word on that. Not my, not my final word, but for this episode, I guess. Yeah. Um, probably. Is that... Mm-hmm. I think he can recover on this. I, yeah, I have like faith in him as like as like an author. That yeah, he possibly did not go, probably didn't go into this with malicious intentions, and can like row it back. And I'm really hoping that he does that. Yeah, he he probably is like gonna make Tyson. A, he might make Tyson a really great character. And maybe we'll, I don't know if we'll have to eat our words because this is really weird framing. This is really just like a weird introduction for him. Mm-hmm. I like that Percy is like his friend. I Yeah, that's nice. I do like that. And I do, I like that Percy's like angry with the school for like, be like treating him like an object. Oh yeah, for sure. That, I guess that, hmm. I don't think it excuses the framing of Tyson, but I do like that Percy is like quite defensive of him and stands up for him. Yeah, Percy's Percy's like a like a good kid here. He um mm-hmm. he he like he's concerned. He and his mom too. Like he's talked about how his mom tried to get like people to like check in on Tyson, but like they couldn't find him because he probably I don't know lives in Monster Town. Pro- probably because uh, the mist or whatever. Yeah. Oh, the mist too. Yeah, I the mist is. Can we talk about the mist for a second? We because can talk about the mist for a second. It was weird in the movie. 
There wasn't any. There wasn't any mist. And in book one, it was fair. Okay, I think what I want to talk about is what did you think about Grover's feet? I, um, because, in what sense? Because we get, <laughs> because we learn that Grover wears fake feet. Oh yeah, is that new information? I feel like in book one it was just he put sneakers on and they were quite loose because they were on hooves. See, that's what I thought too. And that's also but, why the flying ones came off him when they tried to drag him into Tartarus. Yeah. So I don't know if that's like something new, like if Percy mm-hmm. just saw that for the first time in his dream, or if like he's been wearing fake feet the whole time. Which leads me to ask, like if a mortal saw a goat boy with hooves, would they not just see like a kid with hairy legs and normal feet? Would they see hooves? Why does he have to wear ho- like fake feet? Yeah, that is really weird. This feels kind of like cinema sensey of me to say, but I'm just like, interesting. <laughs> yeah, it, because... it's, it is kind of like a little weird inconsistency in the world building. Because like, the way the mist worked in book one was very much a case of like, kind of like um, the way that perception filters work in something like Doctor Who, where it's not like you, you get replaced Nerd. with seeing something else. Shut up. <laughs> You like your eye just slides across the alien or weird or magic thing. Even in the even in these chapters, we learn that Percy like has never looked into Tyson's eyes. Mm-hmm. He always just feels like kind of too awkward to. And that's obviously because like Tyson only has one eye, and the mist yeah. is like affecting Percy. So would people's eyes not just like not want to go towards Grover's feet? Is that not how it works? I guess they would because he has to wear the fake feet. Yeah, or does he just like to? Do you think like weird and oversized and rubber? Yeah, maybe he's just like this is funny. This is a joke I can play. I'm just imagining I can like, have you seen It's now. Always Sunny in Philadelphia? And anyway, uh, I was just gonna say, there's a character in that who's got like a weird insecurity about his hands, and eventually starts wearing like a pair of giant rubber hands all the time. <laughs> It's completely that's, ridiculous, and I imagine that's what Grover looks like. That's really good. Uh, what do you think of Percy's school? I have no idea what Rick is trying to say here. Is he trying to say anything? I don't know. Because it seems to be like... Like, he calls it a progressive school, and it's presented in a kind of, like... A fairly negative way. Like, the, the teachers basically allow the kids to just beat the shit out of each other. But also Percy is like, yeah, this is the first school where I haven't gotten kicked out after a year. So is he trying to say it's it's good or it's bad or what? I don't know. It does feel like a quirky, weird parody of like an alternative progressive school. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I don't know if it's like trying to say it's bad necessarily, but I do feel like it's like kind of t- poking fun at the concept, which mm-hmm. I have like entirely neutral feelings on i've never been to one of these schools i don't know what much about them like i know there's ones around i just like don't really know much about them except that like sometimes they show up in like conservative media basically as like well yeah that's what's throwing me off because this is pretty much the only that's pretty much the only time i ever see any of it addressed yeah and i don't think rick riordan is like trying to write like a these 
progressive schools and they're no grades they're mm-hmm. gonna uh ruin it like i don't i don't think that's what it is uh i don't think it's like they're gonna like teach our kids weird non-traditional american about i i think it's just like i feel like it's just like he's playing with concepts yeah, because like the the presentation of like Yancey Academy in book one also was not very positive. Yeah, like I think maybe maybe Rick is just M- Mr. Riordan. Maybe Mr. Riordan is <laughs> maybe Rick Riordan. Mm-hmm. M- maybe Rick. I I'll just say <laughs> Rick. Maybe Rick is just trying to say like schools are bad. That. That may be entirely Schools possible. are largely bad for kids. I feel like that might be kind of the message here. Uh, like, the the build-up to, like, the... What the fuck are they called? The Lestragonians. Yeah. Oh, however it's pronounced. I think that, that build-up is done really well. I agree. Um, I think it might be Lestragonians. Oh, okay. Which is interesting. Uh, yeah, we there. This 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 book is already proving that it's still got some of the humor, mm-hmm. because like we we learned that like they've got these names like there are these kids from out of town who are gonna transfer in. Their names are Marrow Eater, Bone Sucker, and like Soul Eater, yeah, Soul Eater, and uh, Joe Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Which is it, it's pretty basic kids book humor, but I like it. It makes me it makes yeah. me giggle. I think Rick uh, Riordan's Red Hunter Hunter. I hope he has. <laughs> I hope that we get like a really extended like scene where like <laughs> I hope that we get like a Phantom Troop of oh, Percy yeah. Jackson. Phantom Troop with like Luke as the leader. Oh my god, that would be so cool. Or like Luke is like the like Hisoka who like joins <laughs> in on like this evil demigod group. Hell yeah. Oh, that's so sick. I want that so bad. Uh what did you think of the fight? The big fight? Well that's why I was yeah, that's why I was asking if you think Rick is Red Hunter Hunter. Yeah, because okay, Cause the big fight if... is a a a big dangerous dodgeball game. If I had a nickel for every piece of media I've gone through with my good friend Jacqueline that included a dodgeball battle to the death, I I would have two. Which isn't that many, but it's weird that it happened twice. <laughs> uh, yeah. I Basically, Percy gets all the nerd kids together and mm-hmm. they have to, he has to like, he and Tyson work together to like, save all the nerds from being just like smushed by flaming basketballs or dodgeballs rather it's i do need to i do need to quickly go back into uh critical mode and bonk rick with the uh casual racism stick uh raj mandali the calculus whiz who then runs away screaming in urdu yeah 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 it's one of those things where it's like I don't know. I don't know anymore. You gotta I stop, like... Rick. <laughs> I I know we're only about like halfway through our normal recording time, but I kind of feel like the the bottom line with these chapters is like 
the writing's still good. It's just that we've got a lot of unfortunate shit that's really kind of distracting us from the writing. Yeah, like, I want to talk about, like, oh, Annabeth is so cool, and, like... I love Annabeth's reintroduction. That's really good. Yeah, she's covered in dirt and twigs, and she stabs a giant cannibal through the heart. Mm -hmm. That's so badass. But, like, like, that's, like, intercut with the scenes of, like, she's like, who's that gross monster you have next to you? Mm. And, like, maybe Annabeth's being, like, just being an asshole. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, she, I mean, again, Percy is. does, like, push back against it. Yeah. Like, Percy's like, why are you talking to my friend like that? He's just a person. Come on. Also, her line about, um... Uh, Percy says, Lystra... I can't even say that. What would you call them in English? She thought about it for a moment. Canadians, she decided. <laughs> it's so, like, I get... It's so funny. Like, it's just a very <laughs> funny joke. It is. Like, oh, yeah, the giant cannibals up north. Canadians. The humor is still good in these chapters. They get into like the Gray Sisters taxi, and there's like Ganymede That's, is like yeah. The the whole scene is very chaotic. What did you did you like that uh, little the way back to Camp Half Blood? I think I maintain that this is like maybe not like the book version of the Night Bus, but this is very reminiscent of like Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, the movie version of the Night Bus. I can see that, because that's a very chaotic, loud scene. Mm -hmm. But it is still, it's very good. It's very, like, the three old women screaming at each other while Percy, like, tries to wring information out of them is just very funny as a dynamic. This is the second episode where I've had to say, Jane, do you get the Hercules reference here? Uh, I do not. Hercules the movie, or? Hercules the movie. Mm -hmm. It's, you still haven't seen it. So in Hercules the movie, uh, there were uh, the Fates, um, and the Fates in that movie like told a prophecy of like the hero who would strike down Hades and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But their thing was that they all had one eye who they would pass back and forth to each other mm-hmm. and like pluck from each other's eyeballs. And I think that, like, that's a really good, like, basis to have your, like, um, like, kids, a lot of kids watch Disney movies. Mm -hmm. And so I think, like, putting in, like, a, like, obviously these aren't the fates, but these are, like, significantly similar in how they're presented. Yeah, So a kid, a kid who has seen, uh, who has seen Hercules, not Hades, will (laughs) be, like... Oh, I they're gonna like tell prophecies and stuff. They I know them. They're the wise old women. And uh it's also a nice little parallel to the the myth of Perseus. Because Perseus also meets the uh I don't know how to pronounce their name, like they're the they're the gray I'll just call them the Grey Sisters. Yeah. He also took their eye and ransomed it for like information on how to kill Medusa. Oh, that's that's neat. Yeah, so there's there's both nice like like pop culture like reference as a touchstone and also like a funny little mythological parallel. I feel like we should probably watch the Hercules movie on a bonus episode. We should. Subscribe to our Patreon. 
Yeah, if you want, if you want to hear our opinions on a very old Disney movie that is apparently mediocre. Oh, I like it. Oh, okay. Last time yeah, I saw it. Yeah. Do you uh... think Rick is kicking himself for putting the fates in book one already, so we couldn't just make this lot the fates? I will admit that I got confused at first because I was like, "Why are the fates here? Aren't they supposed to be running like an apple stand?" Yeah. I'm not sure it's even, like, completely worth mentioning, but, like, the previously safe location becoming, like, oh, it's being attacked and there's weird stuff going on in it is, like, a very normal way to ramp up the stakes for a sequel. Yeah, it is. I like it, though, because of the way it's presented. Mm -hmm. Because we start out the book with, like, a sense of unease immediately because there is some kind of giant monster in a dream after grover and we love grover and that's scary and we get this like really detailed description of like the monster's stench Mm -hmm. and so we're immediately uneasy and then we hear sally being like maybe you shouldn't go back to camp half-blood it's kind of not safe and percy's like what what do you mean he just has to go to school like still not knowing what he what that means and there are like shadows following him around and then Annabeth gets oh. there. Oh, yeah? Oh, speaking of Annabeth and Shadows, I remembered what my other connection between these chapters and Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets was. Right? Weird jacking off jokes. <laughs> Are, okay, I, I thought about that for a moment. Are you sure? Are you sure that's I'm, what this is? I feel like... Hmm, I don't want to get into it too much, because, like... You know, they're ki- they're seventh graders. Yeah, but again, I feel like I feel like Rick has very deliberately left that implication open. Cause okay, the idea is that Annabeth was like following Percy around for a while and like peering into his window, and Percy gets all embarrassed. Mm-hmm. They all get very red faced and then drop the subject very quickly. Ah, uh, but yeah, I think it. <laughs> We're just dropping that one. <laughs> I think it builds on this. I don't want to talk about it too much. <laughs> I think it's interesting that they put Annabeth back into a position of conflict with Percy. Yeah, that is that is a little weird because they kind of gotten over that by the end of the last book, but now they're kind of fighting over Tyson now. But and like it makes sense because they had like just gotten to like the level of agreement with each other by the end of last book where they were like pretty in sync, mm-hmm. but. I think it makes sense that, like, a year passes and Annabeth sees Percy hanging out with a Cyclops and she's like, what's wrong with you? Like, back to that level of, like, antagonism, I guess. It does kind of uh, worry me a little. Uh Because I think we talked a little last book when the first, like, Percibeth, like, those (laughs) hints started to appear in, like, the airy side quest bits. And we Uh were worried that, like... Okay, they're going to end up like getting together at some point, and then because these books can never actually write consistent relationships, they're just going to break up again immediately in the next book. That's obviously we're not at that level yet, but the fact that their relationship has maybe been like reset a little does worry me. I don't really, I ha- I haven't really, I haven't really considered like the romantic implications of it too much. I am mm-hmm. worried that every book is going to like start off with like a reset on where they're at in their relationship for sure i would definitely like that to not happen please i i want it to be consistent yeah and i don't have obviously we're on book two i don't have enough like 
yeah reason to think that like that's gonna happen but i want i want some like actual like growth and stuff please the first book had such good like character development yeah it would kind of be a shame to just like dial it all back at the start of every book yeah uh so i guess i hope in the upcoming chapters we get some more of the some we get some hints that maybe that's not all that there is to it you know yeah i think it's funny that percy keeps getting framed for crimes <laughs> i think it's funny that they let percy into this school at all given his history i he he is a kidnapping victim of a cult like of course they're gonna let him in well no i i know that like he was mostly like exoner uh, exonerated for his various crimes but i feel like i don't know the the media perception of percy jackson possible terrorist would be a little harder to shake. I guess it was like a few days of that, you know what I mean? Yeah. But maybe also they couldn't get him into like another private school or something. Oh, that's possible. Maybe oh, that's yeah, why I guess he's this one's more laid school. back. So they'd be like, sure, we'll have a possible terrorist. Yeah, it's And fine. then he blew up the gymnasium. Uh, can we talk about how he blew up the gymnasium? Yeah, let's let's do that. So, okay. Sometimes I'm like getting into these books and I'm like, wow, Rick Riordan is such an advanced level author. And, I, <laughs> and he is. But I do have to remind myself occasionally, we are reading a book for uh, tweens. Yep. Or younger. Uh, when Percy uh, thinks, how am I going to defeat these uh, cannibal giants that are throwing fireballs at me. I guess I'll run into the boys' locker room, which is filled with stale gas, and let it explode. Oh, into it. So, uh, Percy uses uh, boy farts. An in- an entire and a Hindenburg of boy farts. I have limited experience with boys' locker rooms. I have some, Same. obviously, but like, I don't remember them being filled with farts. Yeah, that was not the overwhelming smell from what I could remember. No, I I remember like bo- bad body odor. Maybe that. I mean, I guess maybe that is a form of gas. No, not really though. Maybe deodorant. Maybe that's what it deodorant, is. That's like igniting. Yeah, like a lot of axe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or links over here. Oh, okay. Links like a cat. Yeah, it's the same brand. They just changed the name. Why? Are, I don't know. Are, are axes illegal in Great Britain? You can't carry an axe around? I No. I, my brother, when he was like 14, went to a hardware store once and the guy offered to sell him an axe, so I assume not. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's... <laughs> that's scary. Ah. <laughs> uh, okay. Hey, why does Percy act so weird about his photo of Annabeth being taken when he's already told us that he, like, printed that off his laptop and could just print another one? Uh, because he's embarrassed that they think he has a girlfriend. I know he's, like, like embarrassed about that aspect of it, but he does kind of act as if he's on, he's, like, on the front lines and some of the other guys have just taken a pit. the one picture he's been mailed of his girl back home. <laughs> I... It does kind of feel like that. I think mostly Percy is just like a a quick tempered kid mm-hmm. who doesn't like when, who like very consistently does not like it when people bully him or other people. For sure. 
So I think that's mainly what it is. But you're right that it's very funny because he could just print out another picture. <laughs> well, this was like 2006? Around maybe, that, yeah. Maybe it was harder back then. I guess it's possible. Although speaking of like um, Percy Jackson and like soldier analogies. Uh-huh. He sure is sleeping with a riptide under his pillow. That kind of feels like, you know, the stereotypical thing that veterans with PTSD do with, like, guns. That's that's true. He, um... It's just it kind makes... of a weird thing to put there. <laughs> it's a little weird. I think it makes sense because we did cover, like, Percy has, like, trauma. Like, yeah. manifesting, like, in the last book. So... I think it's, like, good writing to continue to have him have trauma, I guess. Okay. Hmm. I... I don't know. I feel like it would need... It needs to be acknowledged a little more outside of just keeping the pen under the pillow, but I guess we're still, like, early days. Yeah, this is chapter one. Or, that's chapter one, so it's fine, I think, so far. Hmm. It feels a little out of place as it is, I think. Uh, uh, agree to disagree. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, what, do we have anything else to talk about, or should we wrap it up? Uh, oh. flipping through my notes. Hey, hey, hey. Ooh. Check it out. Uh, your hold at the, at the blank City County Library is now ready to borrow. Ah. <laughs> uh, should I read this really fast and then we talk about chapter four? I do you have enough time? Uh we got no. ten ten minutes. Uh let me see how big the chapter is. Uh, do you have a summary ready for it? I do not. Uh so let's I guess let's wrap it up here, because I think we've covered everything. Yeah. We've we've artfully dodged around actually having to address uh Rick using that slur. Okay, let's talk about it really fast then. Okay. Uh, I don't want to dodge around anything. I don't necessarily think it's bad that... Mm, yeah. I... I, th- I think because generally Rick Riordan is trying to go for like a specific message about like bullying. Like to have the bully call like Tyson a slur like is realistic. Mm-hmm. I don't know, like, that is just how school kids be, but it, it's jarring, and it does feel kind of weird within the context that we've talked about so far. Yeah. And I guess that's all I have to say So say on it. I feel like I would, I would look on it more favorably if Percy's response wasn't, he's not that slur. I th- yeah i think like i'm not demanding that percy like say like the exact right politics and the exact things i believe at all times but i don't think it would be unbelievable for him to say hey fuck you for using that word and doubly so for using it to describe my friend yeah I... as opposed to the way because i know he's just a flustered kid and he's saying is not but this is also a book written by an author yeah uh, I don't know. I guess there's, like, I I get it, but I'm also like, eh, but I'm also like, okay, but I'm like, oh, I don't really like, I don't know. It, I it think, feels kind of unnecessary. 
It feels unnecessary. I don't, again, I don't think Rick's gone into this with bad intentions. I think he's just, he's trodden in some shit. Whether it will come out with bad effects, though, is the, uh, is something for us to see. Will he be able to wipe it off his shoe or will he need to throw it away? Nasty. <laughs> so I think that does it for us today. Yeah. Uh, if you'd like to reach the show, you can drop us an email at unwisegirlspod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at unwisegirls. Where we also have a link to our official Discord server. Uh, if you like us, you can you know just keep downloading our episodes, maybe leave a nice rating and review. Uh, and check out our Patreon. For a dollar a month, you get a special role on our Discord, marking you as a camp counselor. For $3 a month, you get an even specialer role as a friend of Dionysus and access to all of our bonus content, including podcasts about uh, things like uh, sci-fi things we like, and in the future, like Hercules and stuff. Uh, yeah. Me talking about RPGs for too long. Me talking about Homestuck and begging for death. Uh, and for $5, if you're feeling especially generous, you get the specialist role of uh, Aphrodite's Chosen, our bonus content, and you can and uh, a shout out at the end of episodes. So thank you very much to uh, Mercy, uh, Veronica, friend, and Medusa, Daddy Poseidon's ex. <laughs> uh, thank you, everybody. <laughs> and as we always say, at the end of every single episode... See you next week, Camp Half-Bloods. See you next Wait. week. Cannibals sounds a lot like cannonballs. And they were throwing cannonballs, but they were cannibals. I don't know how intentional that was. Welcome back, everybody, <laughs> to, to uh, Percy Jackson, Sea of, sea of Monsters. That's not what the book's called. That's, uh, it's, it's just called The Sea of Monsters. Uh, speak uh, for yourself, American. Okay. Um, we're, we're coming back to you live. Uh, we're in your home. And we're going to be talking about uh, chapter four, which we said earlier we didn't read, but we, now we did read because I got the book in the middle of the recording. Hell yeah. Jane, tell me about chapter four. All right. Chapter four, Tyson plays with fire. The campers that are being attacked are the Border Patrol, led by Clarice, who are getting the crack kicked out of them by the Colchis Bulls a pair of bronze, fire-breathing mechanical balls that Annabeth explains were built by Hephaestus. More concerning than the beating they're taking is the fact that the monsters are passing through the boundary around the camp almost unobstructed. Annabeth and Percy try to rush in and help the campers, which is a losing battle until Annabeth gives Tyson permission to cross the boundary into the camp and help with the fight. Despite being consumed by a column of fire, Tyson is unaffected, and helps Percy, Annabeth, and Clarice dispatch the bulls. After the fight, Annabeth tells Percy to look at Tyson again and try to see through the mist. Percy does this, and realises that the reason he was never able to look Tyson in the eye is because he's a cyclops. Annabeth tells Percy that the cyclopes are the kids of a particular god and certain spirits, who are then discarded as mistakes and forced to live on their own. 
Cyclopes also have to work in Olympus's forges, hence why they're fireproof. The trio regroup with Clarice, who tells them to help her get the wounded campers back to the big house, and to the camp leader, Tantalus. When Percy asks where Chiron has gone, Clarice grimly informs him that he's not around currently, and that this is in some way related to the fact that Talia's tree, which strengthens the magical shield around the camp, is dying. Someone has poisoned it. So, this this is actually this is a decent chapter. Uh, I'm yeah. I'm glad that we talked about it today uh, instead of waiting for the next episode. Yeah, because for sure. okay, we got we get. I guess the main thing I want to talk about is I have a couple things. Okay, um, we we get the setup conflict for basically the entire book going forward here, which mm-hmm. is important, obviously the the poison tree problem. Yeah. And uh, we we learn more about Tyson. Mm-hmm. What did you think about the Tyson stuff here? It's lacking the like really uncomfortable framing that it had like even just a chapter ago, which is good. It's like immediately not it's not it's not like immediately better. What it does do is slightly okay. Here's the problem: is that it's continuing to kind of lean into the metaphor. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, so basically the book in in text, Annabeth says that like Cyclopes are like that Tyson is a baby Cyclops and that Cyclopes are born a mistake and they don't always come out right. Mm-hmm. No one wants them. They get tossed aside. Yeah, that's not great. So it does feel like it's supposed to be a metaphor for like. Like, like, but like, it also feels like it's setting up for a like, but that's bad and that's wrong. Like, they're just people. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, Annabeth, like, she also, when she's talking about like the, the fact that they sometimes end up getting put to work in the forges, she says she paused as if she, she was remembering something unpleasant. So like, it's, it's clear that we're not meant to look on that favorably. No. And... I guess we're, I, what I'm saying is that it feels like we're building towards something that is better than what we've had so far with that. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about Camp Half-Blood's Border Patrol? Uh, hate the name. Uh, uh-huh. Kind of love what Rick is doing with Clarice, though. Agreed. I feel like she's... In this chapter, if she like continues on this course, she's going to be like moving out of the bully zone and into the... like rival slash ally zone which i'm really into we're getting like the flip side of the character we were shown she was last time mm-hmm. uh and i just realized that i am recording with the wrong microphone oh, no. whatever okay it's fine <laughs> uh and we're getting the flip side of that insofar as like before she was shown as like fiercely like a, okay, so basically what we're getting shown here is that she is like a badass who will fling herself mm-hmm. into danger to protect Camp Half-Blood and like her fellow campers. Pretty good stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know if she's going to be like Percy's friends even, but... I'm kind of fine with the dynamic they have now, which is like, like they don't like each other, but they have like similar interests. Yeah, like they aren't like BFFs or anything. Mm-hmm. They're like comrades in arms. Yeah. I think that's pretty good. Yeah, I'm into that. 
I kind of want to talk about um, like Annabeth and Clarice being like, like I know we, we've been so far in this episode bonking Rick a lot for doing like really weird, uncomfortable stuff. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And I do just want to give credit where it's due and say that, especially for a book from like 2006, having the two like battlefield commander characters both being girls, and who like who we see in this chapter both have like very distinct styles of like um like commanding people around i just think that's really nice yeah it's cool because we get that like aries athena dynamic yeah. parallel or whatever but we also get the uh we get the uh sort of it's like you said they they're both two characters who we know and we get to see that like they have their they're not just like both like archetypal like badass girl you put in to have an empowered female character or whatever yeah like uh clarice's go-to is like oh everybody form up stick together make a big phalanx which makes sense for like a, a god as aggressive as Ares. and then annabeth is like okay everyone split up try and keep them distracted which makes more sense for like a more strategy focused god yeah, I, I definitely like that a lot. I mm-hmm. I enjoyed I enjoyed the chapter. Yeah, same. It's like I don't think it's it's maybe not like quite up to snuff as some of the action scenes that we've gotten so far. I no, think the sense of place is a little bit dodgy. It could have done with like another point of reference other than Talia's tree, but it's still like he- I would say a step up from the other three for sure. Yeah, like we we hear that like oh the um. We hear that, like, oh, uh, Tyson is trying to get through the boundary line, but he can't. And I'm like, wait, Percy crossed the boundary line? When, when did he do that? Yeah. Like, I didn't, I didn't even realize. And bull number one and bull number two are like, those are functional names, but it's kind of, it's difficult to keep track of where they are unless you, like, go back and look at it again. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it, it's a decent fight. It's a... It's it's like I think it's okay for the beginning. It's not the like awesome beginning that we got with the Minotaur or anything, but it's fine. I do think it's it's a nice little it's a nice way to call back to that fight by having like another bullfight on Half Blood Hill. Oh true. But it's like it's definitely a completely like, distinct encounter. It's not just copy pasted. Yeah. yeah. I also I just wanna quickly be a uh, wanker English literature student and say that I appreciate the weird and creepy automatism of, like, the uh, robot bull running in circles like a merry-go-round animal. That's a word I learned on my uh, gothic stories course, like, a few weeks ago, and I wanted to use it to sound smart. (laughs) Hell yeah. Very, uh, very something wicked this way comes. That's my, that's my middle school English education coming out. (laughs) Uh, all right, everyone. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. And see you next week, Camp Half Blood. See you next week, Camp Half Blood. I wonder if we'll sign off twice this week. But what are we